Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. Today we're reading short and deep Forever After by Jim Thompson. This is first published in Shock Magazine, Volume 1, Number 1, from May 1960. I, I want to point out some of the other stories in the same issue um, to see why it's unusual and why it's interesting. The magazine didn't run that long, and it has sort of a strange genre. Um, <laughs> it says what it does in the title, I guess. Shock. Um, there's a Theodore Sturgeon called Bianca's Hands, a Henry Cutner story called Graveyard Rats, or The Graveyard Rats, uh, The Crowd by Ray Bradbury, uh, an Anthony Boucher story called The Empty Man, Crickets by Richard Matheson, which we have done on this podcast previously, um, and a John Collier story, Abram Davidson, and a W.W. Jacobs, The Monkey's Paw. So this is one of the few non-reprints uh, in the issue, and uh, I just think it's a great issue. I, I kind of wish this magazine ran a lot longer. Um, I'm a big, big Jim Thompson fan. Have you uh, read any of his books? Do you know about this guy? I am assuming, since this story doesn't exist in the Internet Speculative Fiction database, that this Jim Thompson, who is clearly a very skillful writer, must be the, the famous crime writer who did Indeed. The Grifters. Indeed. He is the fam famous crime writer whose movie was filmed twice. Uh, or maybe that one was only done once. Yeah. There's uh, another one, The Getaway, that was filmed twice. Um, a lot of his novels have actually been turned into movies. And um, he is highly respected um, by writers who write in crime genre. But he, although there was a revival of his stuff in the 80s after his death in, in, in the 75, I think. Uh, oh, 77 it says here. Um, he really needs to have much more attention given to his work, I think. It's just, it's spectacularly interesting. Um, and the psychology is amazing. Um, that film, The Grifters, was uh, adapted by Donald Westlake, one of my favorite authors. And he, he talks about um, Jim Thompson as a writer uh, in one of the special features on the DVD. It's, it's also on YouTube uh, for people who want to go check that out. Um, he's, he's just an amazing uh, psychological crime writer who does things that few other writers dare do, which is show, uh, yeah, which is like show... He lets himself think, uh, I think this is quoting Elmore Leonard, he lets himself think things, he lets himself, or maybe it's King, a whole bunch of famous writers like this guy. He lets himself think things, he lets himself write write it down, and then he lets himself, uh, it lets it get published. And they're, they're always showing sort of the darkest part of humanity. Um, and he comes from that <laughs> in his own life. So... He's not making it up, is what I'm thinking. You're not going to tell me the story we're talking about today is true. <laughs> well, I'm sure parts of it are true. Um, <laughs> it sure, certainly rhymes with a lot of sort of true tragedy out there. Um, it does. 
uh, it's a bit long for us to read all the way through. Um, it's about 15 minutes of reading. But uh, if you would read the first page and give people the flavor of it, we would definitely be able to uh, get get people interested in going to get the PDF and reading it for themselves. I'd like to do that. Uh, certainly, it captured me at the very beginning, a story called Forever After. Uh, it did it because it it looked simple, but it then... If you if you pay attention to it, it has depth. It has layers. Mm -hmm. So forever after. It was a few minutes before five o'clock when artist Clinton unlocked the rear door of her apartment and admitted her lover. He was a cow eyed young man with a wild mass of curly black hair. He worked as a dishwasher at Joe's Diner, which was directly across the alley. They embraced passionately, her body pressed against the meat cleaver concealed inside his shirt, and artist shivered with delicious anticipation. I'd like to point out, Jesse, right away at this juncture, it starts out sounding sort of stereotypical. Mm -hmm. You know, cow-eyed young man, Joe's diner, right across the alley. <clears throat> but the right across the alley, once we realize there's a meat cleaver under his chest, um, Something is wrong here, mm -hmm. right? And so the fact that he is conveniently located and that he is only a dishwasher already sets us up to think that artist Clinton is perhaps manipulating this fellow. And when it says her body pressed against the meat cleaver concealed inside his shirt, an artist shivered with delicious anticipation, that shiver with anticipation no longer seems to attached to the word lover mm. it looks like it attaches to the meat cleaver yeah. and so there's there there are layers here she she shivers with delicious anticipation very soon now it would all be over that stupid ox her husband would be dead well an ox of course it's just just what a butcher would kill i mean it's mm -hmm. the, the images come together he and his stupid cracks all the dullness and boredom would be gone forever. And that word is in the title, forever after. All the dullness and boredom would be gone forever. If we're really reading this carefully, we have to ask whether or not there's a comeuppance going to come up. And with the 20000 insurance money, $10,000 double indemnity, we're going to be so happy, Tony, she whispered. You'll have your own place, a real swank little restaurant with what they call one of those intimate bars. And you'll just manage it, just kind of saunter around in a dress suit and we'll and we'll be ha live happily ever after, Tony said. Just me and you, baby, walking down life's highway together. Artist let out a gasp. She shoved him away from her, glaring up into his handsome, empty face. Don't. She snapped. Don't say things like that. I've told you and told you not to do it. And if I have to tell you again, I'll. But what I say, he protested, I didn't say nothing. Well, she got control of herself, forcing a smile. Never mind, darling, you haven't had any opportunities and we've never really had a chance to know each other. So so never mind. Things will be different after we're married. She patted his cheek kissed him again. You got away from the diner, all right? No one saw you leave? 
At that moment, we realize that she has picked this guy to be malleable, to be her weapon, and she is now drawing him into her web. Mm -hmm. um, I stopped when I was reading this first page and said, why does he, she get so angry when he says, and we'll ha live happily ever after? She's just said they're going to get married. That's what my and, note says. It says, why does she get upset? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'll tell you what I thought of, even on the first reading. Um, Happily Ever After is a fairy tale ending. Mm -hmm. It is a stereotype. And all of the stereotypes we've seen so far on this first page have been either undercut or contextualized to add another layer of meaning. Mm -hmm. I think Artis knows the world too well. She is too hard. And already she is angry at the idea that someone could be foolish enough to think that there is such a thing as a happily ever after. Mm -hmm. That's why she's angry. Uh, whether she intends to really marry him or not, we don't know. But she gets angry at this formulation, it seems to me. Yes. And then she goes right back to the plot. I mean, the plotting, you know. Yeah. Well, would, I think we need to summarize the rest of it just to get to... Um to all the the awesomeness there's there's not that there's like four characters i think uh there's the there's Artis, who it turns out her last name is clinton there's tony who's the dishwasher who uh we never find out his last name bill her husband bill clinton and <laughs> there's also um the detective uh oh and i guess there's a doctor there who who doesn't ever actually give her the news that we have to infer. Right. Right. So, and it's, it's also important to probably to notice that the, the uh, policeman's name is powers. Ah, right. Detective powers. He's got detective powers. <laughs> he does. And he's a Lieutenant. He stands in, he, which means literally to stand in the place of, mm. he is a Lieutenant. Um, who stands for something. I think in this case, it's not just secular authority. I think it's moral authority. You're right. It's, it's, uh, he's, he's uh, standing in the place of judgment, right? Um, Indeed. It's interesting. So, so you want to give us that summary? Um, I, I prefer you do it because I'm... Well, after... I mean, what artist then quizzes Tony, have you made sure that nobody saw you? Have you got excuses in mind? And she's very clever about, you know, getting him to realize he shouldn't have firm excuses because firm excuses can be um, can be disconfirmed uh, by, by data. But then she goes and makes the house look like there's going to be an attack on her husband, um, messes through the dresser drawers and so on. And she's clearly got it plotted. We get a sense of how boring this guy is. He comes in um, and she's in a peignoir and uh, he doesn't even notice that his, his wife has deployed herself. In fact, he looks at her uh, when she opens her, uh, her peignoir and says, Hey, you got a hole in your underwear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, really? That's that's your reaction to your naked wife? Um, so he really is boring. We get that. Although dependable, that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but she's also planned this so that Tony has to slug her. And Tony's this big, beefy guy, and he's going to hit her. He doesn't want to hit her, but she says, you got to do it. Otherwise, no one's going to believe that you came in here. And so he stands in the shower and uh, indeed wonderfully um 
he he kills he kills the husband after he comes in. Um, he that is Tony plodded off down the hall. Artis heard the bathroom door open and close. She got up, stood waiting by the telephone. The door banged open again, and Tony came racing up the hall. Between um, waiting by the telephone and the door banged open again, that is to say, a heartbeat. Without a single word being said, apparently Tony has taken the uh, butcher's the butcher's uh, cleaver and slaughtered Bill. Um, that takes no time. It doesn't enter into Artis's consciousness at all. Um, but then he comes out. She makes him slug him, slug her. He slugs her. She goes down unconscious. When she opens her eyes, there's Lieutenant Powers and someone introduces a doctor standing by her and they pick her story to pieces. Turns out they really know that she is um, she's evil, that she's committed this murder or organized the murder, uh, but they can't prove it. And she tells them to go out. And so they go out. And um, in fact, she opens her eyes again and uh, the doctor gives her the news um, or it starts to give her the news, but she won't hear anything of it. And they leave. And then there's a knock on the door, the key in the door. And Bill comes in again, repeating exactly what he repeated the last time. Uh, he can't be dead, but he is dead. Um, and she says at the end, he's dead. I know you are. You're dead. And I don't have to put up with you thinking he's an imposter for another minute. And, and wouldn't take no bets on that. If I was you, he said mildly, not with a broken neck like yours. He trudged off toward the bathroom, wherever the bathroom is in eternity. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. Presumably that's the shock that we get because yep, presumably only when we have that line, wherever the bathroom is in eternity, do we realize that she has been dead, um, that, that the, the blow to her head was uh, too much. It's sort of like the shock in uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Mm-hmm. Like occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, I think if you pay enough attention, as I meant to suggest by looking at the word forever, on the ver- in the very first paragraph, you, we know we're going to be walking into the world of eternity somewhere in this story. Now, maybe not. Maybe I, you know, primed to read fantasy and science fiction because that's what my friend Jesse usually <laughs> feeds me, was expecting to wind up in a fantasy world. And otherwise, I should have been shocked. But maybe others were shocked and maybe others weren't at all. Um, does that give us the story? And if it does... How do you react to it? Okay, yeah, it does. It, it does. It does. It's uh, this is a this is a pocket version of a, a very short novel called um, Double Indemnity. Right? It's the same sort of plot structure. You've got a uh, sort of a a man being manipulated by a woman into killing her husband so that they can collect on the insurance money and have a wonderful life together. Um, it's a famous movie, a terrific, terrific movie, and a terrific novel. Um, this is a recapitulation of that sort of same plot structure. Uh, you know, it goes wrong. There's a femme fatale. There's a sort of a doofus um, male character who's... You, you can't tell if she's doing it to manipulate him uh, and without regard to his feelings or just as a part of the process of them getting together. Um, and then... It has this twist ending, which is uh, distinctively Jim Thompson, much more philosophical about 
these things than James M. Cain, who uh, is, again, a great writer. But this this story is, is wonderful. There's a, um, a, a story by Jim Thompson that sort of gives gives the 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 feeling that this story has the title of that story is this world then the fireworks and <laughs> you uh you, you get that right um it, we're seeing the world as it is not as we and she hates to see these dreams about what the world can be right her dreams for him and her is that they're going to be married and he's going to have a bar, uh, restaurant, and he'll just saunter around, right? And it's not like they're going to be saunter around forever after. They're just going to saunter around. This world, this is what we have. This is how it is. Then the fireworks. The fireworks being hell. And her hell is the shock of the story, is life with her husband, right? And I love thinking about about how her husband's job is as a master machinist. <laughs> she's yeah. She's got a master machinist husband, and this, as you you said, I don't know if you noticed it. You said this beefy guy. <laughs> yes, uh, I did, and I did it. I did it intentionally. Okay. Because of the reference to ox and so on. Oh yeah, it's everywhere, right? So he's a cow-eyed. Uh, her husband, uh, her boyfriend's cow-eyed. Her husband's an ox. Um, she, uh, this is a great one. This is on page 63. Her expression changed, wearily resentful. She pulled the material of the negligee over her legs because, of course, Bill would never notice. She could wear a, a ring in her nose, paint a bullseye around her navel, and he'd never notice. There's actually two references to cattle here. Um, and then uh, Tony... Although it, although if the target, if the bullseye is a target, um, there is something slightly homoerotic involved here as well. <laughs> There's um, the, her description of Tony um, is is that he's actually not that different from her husband, um, except he's even lower on the the rankings of you know job prospects. Um, I'm going to read this is from page 62 uh, near the bottom, and then continues at the top. He won't. He won't look into the b bedroom. I know exactly what he'll do, exactly what he'll say. The same things that he always done and said ever since we've been married. And the stupid, maddening, dull, tiresome doesn't finish it. She broke off abruptly, conscious that her voice was rising. Well, forget it, she said, forcing another smile. He won't give us any trouble. I, I was curious about this. Why, why is she so sure that her plan will will, you know, execute so well. It's because her husband is a machine and he is so routine, right? He comes in every day and says the exact same thing. This is the thing that annoys his wife so much. And she she is so engaged with his reliability that she can make this elaborate, obviously way too elaborate plan, even though it's a very simple plan, to kill her husband. Um, the only thing she doesn't reckon for is that the bull-like boyfriend has just too much power, right? He 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 kills her ultimately. Um, 
And I don't think we even have... I was wondering, like, is Tony going to get away with it? I'm not I'm not sure. Like, is he going to join them in hell? I don't think he can, right? I think their hell at the end forever, or her hell anyways, at the end forever, is to be stuck with her husband, always saying the same things. I'm going to go splash the chassis, right? When Meaning goes, take a shower, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, do we have any hot water? Right, and uh, when you notice, you notice that word chassis means he's treating himself as if he were a machine. He is absolutely. He is. It's it's almost a science fiction story, just in the fact that she, he's a robot and she's she's passionate and angry and full of full of full of energy. Even at the end in hell, right? She she's angry and passionate, and he says, "Well, I wouldn't take no bets on that." He said mildly, <laughs> because he's he's still him, right? He's still him, and uh, there, there's a um, description of him that comes up a couple of t- well, it comes up once. Uh, his eyeglasses, his round eyeglasses, he's compared to an owl, and then in her sarcastic responses to what her, you know, what's for dinner, uh, at one point she says um, stewed garbage, right, and then later on at the end she says stewed owls. <laughs> she's 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 full of passion and energy. And her husband's a robot, and forever after, she's doomed. She is. Um, you you make you, you raise for me a a question, Jesse. Um, I I ask it as a way to help me evaluate the story. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just accept the fact that I like the story a lot. But I am a little concerned about whether or not we are supposed to think this uh, of this as a shock ending or supposed to see it build its way up. Um, and here's here's how th- what the question focuses on. It comes out of your notion that they can't get together in hell, that that Tony may, in fact, get away with the murder because, in fact, she's dead mm-hmm. and he's gone. And the police will know that it's a murder, but they won't know anything about Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That raises a question. If there is an eternity, is in eternity a a devilish bill who comes in every day and continues to bore um, artists, who is ardent, right? She's the one with passion. She's not the bull bill who is the machine, right? Um, is there a devil bill who comes in to keep reminding her of what's going on? And therefore there was a devil, um, Lieutenant powers. Those are the powers that be They're Satan's powers and the devil doctor, or is eternity all in her mind? And because after all, she's alone. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get together with Tony. She is always forever alone. Is she only now able to reconstruct what went wrong with her plan? Mm-hmm. Right? Because after all, um, when Lieutenant Power says, we have a signed confession from Tony, she says, no, you don't. They have a little banter back and forth. And he admits, no, we don't. So that they don't have anything. All the reconstruction that she does of the the crime that points to her being the murderess by proxy, she could have known before, but didn't. 
she wasn't as smart as she thought she was. And so I guess I'm, what I'm asking here is, should we have been reading this to see that her plan, in fact, was flawed? And at the end, what we see is her consciousness condemned to isolation in eternity as she imagines Bill coming to her again and again and again? Or should we imagine that the universe really has divine justice and there are devils around who are going to torment those who do evil? I think it's the former, that she is condemned forever. There is no eternity. She's made up that term. Mm. She'll live for eternity, but it's not the God and Satan eternity at all. That the fantasy element here is not that we're thrown back into, say, a Christian world of God and devil. The fantasy element is that her soul will go on for eternal torment, a torment that comes out of her own mind. Mm-hmm. Now, that may be too clever a reading by half. No, I don't. But, I don't think that that's that's too clever because, um, as somebody, I think it was Westlake pointed out. Um, Donald Westlake, he, he brings what Jim Thompson does is he brings Greek tragedy to the underclass. He, he, he brings Sophocles and the, and the stories of, you know, Oedipus. You can't avoid your fate. You can't avoid your nature. Um, we're, we're damned in this world and we're damned to live with the mistakes that are inherent within us. Um, it's, it's, uh, a very hard story. And if you think about what that title means, right, Forever After, and her reaction to it on that first page, artist let all to guess she shoved him away, glaring up into his, em- into his handsome, empty face. Don't, she snapped, don't say things like that. I've told you, told you not to do it. And I, I don't want to have to, uh, and if I have to tell you again, I'll, I'll, and she doesn't finish it, right? What did he say? Well, she he said, and we'll live happily ever after. How can that be such an offense? I, when I first read this, I, I was thinking, oh, she's gonna kill him, right? This is this is more like um, uh, even more like double indemnity than I thought, where her plan is to you know, or even there's a similar movie, Black Widow, where you've got this femme fatale character who who marries men only for their money. And only uh, so that they can get away, and if they find a a um, a dupe to help them do the job. But actually, she, in trying to reach out to Tony, is actually trying to escape the trap that she's she's found herself in. As far as I can tell, there's no evidence that she was forced to marry this guy. How did she find herself into this marriage 15 years and hating it so much? Um, I, I think it's interesting that she never leaves the house in the story, right? All the other characters have come in and out. She's in the house. And at the end, when she's talking, about, when she's saying, I don't have to listen to you, she says to her husband, who's back again from the dead, stop it, stop it. Her screams filled the room, silent screams ripping through silence. He's dead. You're dead. I know you are. You're dead. And I don't have to put up with you for another minute. And and she doesn't finish it. It's like, I'm going to get out of here. Right. And then her husband says, 
Wouldn't take no bets on that if I was you, he said mildly. Not with your broken neck like yours. So even in death, she's still trapped in that house. She can't even get... <laughs> what was preventing her from leaving before and just running off with Tony and, you know, living a new life? Well, that part is explained. She wouldn't get the money. That's um, right. That's right. But 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 I think that she's trapped I think by her nature. I think she it. is. I think your question, why did she get married at all, feeds into what I find to be a, a marvelous double entendre in the title. Mm-hmm. She got married at all because she did it too fast without thinking it through enough. Mm. And then afterwards, she had to think about the reality of what she'd gotten herself into. And it's the afterwards that is forever. You know, when you say they lived happily ever after, forever after sounds like something that keeps on going. But there's another way to look at it, that the forever is the part that's after. Mm. And in Artis's case, she does not think things through enough. She thinks she's so smart the way she thinks she can use sex. She could use it on Tony, but she can't use it on Bill. She thinks she's smart. She thinks things through, but she doesn't think them through enough. The consequences of her deeds are forever. They are the after. The present, misunderstanding. The, past, the, the future, the consequences of the misunderstanding. And I think in that sense, you've hit a key idea. Why did she marry at all? <laughs> she wanted out from some other situation. Mm-hmm. But eventually, there is no out. Here, what we're going to hear in her life will be repetition. But we notice it's repetition with change. This time, Bill doesn't just ask what's for dinner, where's their hot tea. He stops and says, no, it's not going to work out that way. Not now. In other words, in its own sameness, forever after, there will always be more to say. (laughs) And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.